Well, greetings to you all on this last great day. We hope you've had a wonderful feast, as I'm sure you have, and now we are gathered to learn what this last feast pictures in the plan of God. Of course, the last great day. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. To start off, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. It says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him that made heaven, and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of waters. Brethren, what makes the gospel everlasting? What does it mean? Why is it called that? We see it called that here in Revelation, preached by an angel to those dwelling on the earth. But what does that mean? I'd like to talk about that today in relation to the last great day. Why is the gospel called everlasting? And what does it have to do with us today? If you'd like a title, my title is simply The Everlasting Gospel. We know the word gospel just means good news. Cruden's Concordance explains this about the word. It says, The English word gospel comes from the Anglo-Saxon Godspell, which meant good tidings through Godspell or God's story. The gospel is good news. Good tidings or good news about anything actually doesn't have to refer to the gospel. The term glad tidings or good tidings is used in different places in the Bible, referring to anything which was good news. But, of course, the everlasting gospel is not just good news about anything. It, of course, is a particular thing, the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. But what does everlasting mean? Well, that comes from uh, Strong's uh, reference number 166, the word eonios, eonios meaning perpetual, uh, also used of past time or past and future as well, eternal, forever, or everlasting. It comes from uh, the root word aeon or age. <clears throat> Aeonios can be used again of past time or past or future as well. Which is really interesting when we talk about the gospel because of course we read that the good news of the kingdom of God has been preached in every age. Every aeon, every stage of time past whether Old Testament or New Testament and will, of course, be in the future. Notice in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8, very quickly, uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8, we read that the gospel was preached to Abraham during his time. Verse 8 says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. The gospel was preached to Abraham. It also was preached to the Israelites. Notice in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. This is talking about the ancient Israelites at Mount Sinai, 
But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So they heard the gospel as well. The, in, in substance, uh, the people in ancient Israel heard the gospel. We certainly know the, the gospel was preached to the people in Christ's time. Notice in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. He was there in person. Uh, he came specifically to preach the gospel, the good news. And we find in Mark 1.14, it says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent you and believe the gospel. So he, of course, was preaching the good news of the coming kingdom of God saying, repent, believe the good news, the kingdom is coming, it's at hand in him. It was in him at that time, and it will be set up soon to govern over all the nations. We know that's the same message that we are preaching today, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12. Matthew 24, verse 12, and it says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Of course, that's what we're doing today, isn't it? It's the main reason why we're here as a church, to do the work of preaching the gospel to the world before his coming. But brethren, think about this for a moment. Since we are on this side of the return of Jesus Christ, do we sometimes subconsciously, perhaps without really thinking about it, do we connect the gospel or the good news only to the return of Christ? It would be natural for us to do so, of course, because for us it's fabulously good news that this world, this age is coming to an end, that the 6,000 years of man's rule is about to finish. That's good. That's what we yearn for. That's what we sigh and cry for. That's what we pray for. But let's look at this in a broader sense and just not just in the here and now. If we're not careful, we can begin to assume that the good news is synonymous only with Christ's return, when actually, what is the good news? It's the good news of the kingdom of God. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God, not just the gospel of the return of Christ or the gospel of the millennium, right? Jesus Christ is only one being in the God family, and of course we know there is another being who is actually the head of the family, the head of the kingdom. And if you think about it, as great as Christ's return will be and as important as that will be, it will only be one step closer to the total fulfillment of the good news of the kingdom of God that the Father is coming to earth and will reign over His kingdom from earth, reigning over all human beings, at that time, not just the first fruits and not just the people of the millennium. That's, of course, what this day is all about. 
the last great day, the great day of the feast, the total fulfillment of the gospel of the kingdom. Notice in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 33. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 33, talking about the feast days. It says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And on the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you. That's where we are today. And you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall do no servile work therein. So, of course, we are here on the last great day. This is no longer the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the different feast. It's the last feast, the last great day, the eighth day. Now, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because it has an interesting way of summing up the plan of God as the feast days teach us and show us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. Let's start there. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news. What is that of? Again, not just the return of Christ. The gospel really entails the whole plan, the good news of the kingdom of God and all that that includes. I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. Verse 2, By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all of that which I also received. How? What's the first step in the gospel? How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Of course, that's pictured by the Passover the price that he paid for us. If he hadn't died for us, we would still be dead in our sins. We would have no Savior. We would have no chance at eternal life. That's the first step. Verse 4, And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Of course, the resurrection of Christ was the next crucial step pictured by the wave sheaf offering, uh, pictured by the first of the first fruits and showing that by His resurrection, we also can understand that we can have eternal life as well. We can be resurrected, every man in his own order. Verse 17, notice. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So we're looking to the resurrection. That's what we're looking for and praying for and yearning for and hoping for and looking forward to. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming. So it really is a summation of the progressive plan of God as told by the feast days. We know the day of Pentecost pictures the first fruits, 
following in his footsteps to be born into his family at his return, which is pictured by the Feast of Trumpets. But think about it. The Feast of Trumpets is not the end, is it? Christ's reign on earth is not the end of the plan. There's something more yet to happen. Of course, he will reign for a thousand years with the saints. And notice then in verse 24, then comes the end. The end. What's the end? Well, that's what this day is all about. When not only Christ reigns on the earth, but God the Father reigns on the earth personally as well at his headquarters of the whole universe. That's the end. He says, when he, Christ, shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. You notice that Christ's second coming, at his second coming, it doesn't yet put an end to all his enemies. We learn through the Day of Atonement that after Christ's return, Satan is bound for a thousand years, but not yet put away for all time. He's allowed to be loosed for a little while. He stirs up rebellion at the end. At the end of those thousand years, mankind again, some become an enemy to God, of Jesus, to Jesus Christ, and some fight against Him. But this day, the last great day, pictures way beyond that the real end when all enemies are subdued. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is saying. Verse 25, For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. In other words, we're looking forward to a time when all human beings, those who are willing and want to submit to God and live his way, all of them will be in the kingdom of God and no more subject to death. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. We talk about that on this day. Verse 27, For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God or the Father may be all in all. The ultimate purpose is, of the kingdom of God and the goal of the kingdom of God is not just for Christ to reign on earth through the millennium, but for the Father to reign on earth as well for all eternity. The everlasting gospel, it's not just for our time. It goes on. It was preached thousands of years ago in substance to Abraham, to the ancient Israelites, it was preached during the time of Christ. We are preaching it today, but it's not just about the millennium and the kingdom of God being set up on earth, although that is the most urgent part of it for us because it's coming very soon. It goes way beyond that. In one sense, the whole millennium is only preparation for that incredible event when the Father himself descends on the earth to reign forever and ever. Notice in verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption 
inherit incorruption. The millennium is not the kingdom of God. The millennium is ruled over by the kingdom of God or the government of God or the family of God, God and his children in positions and offices in his government. But during the millennium, the plan of God is not finished. We know that. That's nothing new. The good news, the great news of this day, the last great day, is that God does have a plan to bring every son to glory, if at all possible, those who are willing, every son and daughter, ultimately, because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. Verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality? Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. That's the ultimate good news of the kingdom. That death as an enemy will ultimately be swallowed up and overcome and banished forever. Let's turn over to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1. And of course, this day is, is central to that plan the ultimate victory over death. In other words, all human beings, all those who are willing, being able to be resurrected and changed and live as spirit beings forever. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and... Satan, verse 2, and bound him a thousand years. Of course, this happens at the beginning of the thousand years, just after Christ returns. Verse 3, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's what we've been talking about all week, the reign of the saints with Christ on the earth in the millennium, reigning over physical human beings, but that's not the totality of the plan. The plan is not finished yet with the millennium. Verse 5, But the rest of the dead lived not again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Satan is led out of his prison one more time at the end of the thousand years. Now, why does God do that? You know, we don't really know. <clears throat> but God, in His perfect wisdom, somehow figures it in to His plan to test mankind one more time, to show mankind the real source of rebellion, 
and pain and sin and death. And that, of course, is Satan the devil. And perhaps even to show how deceptive and deceiving Satan is that after a thousand years of plenty and harmony and growth and progress and the gospel being preached and millions hearing the message and millions coming up to the Feast of Tabernacles and millions and billions being converted, that man in the flesh is still carnal and still susceptible to being deceived. Perhaps that's a lesson that God teaches through this phase of the plan. That only when man is made God with his spirit will he be totally perfected to God's way. One last object lesson for man. So Satan deceives the nations despite the fact that for a thousand years they have been warned about it. Have you ever thought about that? Isn't that amazing? For generations and generations people are hearing about this happening and yet it still happens. Maybe some thought, well, I can handle it. I won't be deceived by Satan. I'm mature enough to be able to see through that. And yet, for whatever reason, since they weren't close to, enough to God or weren't walking with God, when the deception came, they fell for it. That's going to happen at the end of the millennium. You know, we are no match for the wiles of the devil, are we? Apart from the help of God. Apart from walking with God, apart from being close to God, apart from having our hand in His hand and walking every day with Him, we are no match for the wiles of the devil. We can't go head to head with Him. But of course, God defeats this army in a great battle. And then we find in verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the Beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Of course, that's the end of Satan once and for all. And thank God for that. Notice, after this battle, we enter a very interesting time period. It's named in verse 11. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, Stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. You know, one of the most exciting parts of this festival season is the last great day because it details the general resurrection of all mankind who never yet had an opportunity to be called back to physical temporary life. Of course, called the Great White Throne Judgment Period. It'll be a time for all humanity who have ever lived throughout history, from every nation and tongue, every time and place, every culture and race, who never yet had a genuine opportunity. This will be their time. Of course, we see a small glimpse of it in Ezekiel. Notice in Ezekiel chapter 37, a very, very familiar passage, which we read on this day. Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 
verse 1. Ezekiel 37 and verse 1, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you knowest. Good answer. Uh, You know. I don't know, but you know. Verse 4, again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live and I will lay sinew upon you. Notice the detail. And bring up flesh upon you, muscle and sinew and and, and, and uh, all kinds of tissue and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. At the detail of a physical resurrection on a huge scale. Remember we read before, flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. So these people are not being resurrected to the kingdom. They are given a second shot at life, a first genuine chance to be converted, to get it right, to know God, to walk with God, and have their understanding open. We read before in Revelation that the books are open at this time the books of the Bible. They're able to understand the things that they didn't before. And the book of life is open. God is fair. He is equi- equitable. He will not destroy anyone utterly without giving them a chance and an opportunity to succeed and love His way. Verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together bone to bone, Verse 8, And when I behold, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them up above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man. Say to the wind, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. Again, a physical resurrection, not to the kingdom of God yet. They receive breath just as, as Adam did at the very beginning. Verse 10, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Amazing how many millions and billions of people that would be, the whole house of Israel. Israelites from every epoch of time, from every age, who weren't yet called, who died in their sins, Israelites coming out of Egypt, Israelites under the judges and kings, Israelites carried off into captivity by Assyria and Babylonia, Israelites who died in the time of Christ, Israelites who lived all over Europe during centuries of migration and down into Britain and the North America and all over the earth and down to our present time, all those in our country and all those spread all over the earth who won't live on into the millennium perhaps, but they will wake up a thousand years later in the great white throne period and won't they be surprised that they have a first genuine chance to know God's way and love God's way and learn God's way and live God's way. He says, Behold, they say, Our bones are dried, our hope is lost, we are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, my people, I will open your graves, 
cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and will put my spirit into you, and you shall live. And I shall place you in your own land, that you, then you, then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it, says the Lord. What a wonderful plan this is. A wonderful chance for all of the Israelites who never had an opportunity, never really had God's Spirit, and so they will have it at this time, and they will learn and grow and overcome and become like Him. Verse 15, The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel as companions, then take another stick. And write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel as companions, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in your hand. Verse 21, And say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen where they have gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all, and they shall... Be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their own idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them, so they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Verse 24, And David my servant shall be king over them. And they all shall have one shepherd. They also shall walk in my judgments, observe my statutes, and do them. What a wonderful time this is picturing. This is not the millennium. This is the great white throne period when all Israel will be able to learn God's way and have His Spirit and walk in His laws and statutes. Verse 26, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yes, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Brethren, what is the good news all about? Is it just the good news of the millennium? Or is it the good news of the kingdom of God and every human being who has ever lived having the opportunity to learn about that kingdom, have God's Spirit, and finally enter His kingdom, be born into it. Not just us, not just those in the millennium, and not just the Israelites, but the heathen as well, the, the Gentiles, the non-Israelite nations. Notice Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Other nations will be raised at this time as well. We find that Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. It says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people and but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, 
but the laborers are few. Pray you, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, and all during the millennium, Jesus Christ will continue that work that he did at his first coming of preaching and teaching and healing and guiding and using others who will be his servants, co-shepherds assisting him during the millennium and the great white throne period. Verse 1 in Matthew chapter 10, When he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And just as he selected and used twelve apostles, then he will use perhaps many thousands of saints to spread this good news around the world about the fullness of his kingdom, that all mankind has the potential to enter God's kingdom upon repentance, faith, and obedience. Verse 7. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Verse 14. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verse 15. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. When Christ was instructing his disciples, he was explaining that Sodom and Gomorrah would rise in the day of judgment. Now, when would that be? Well, what we've been talking about, the great white throne period. And as sinful and as wicked as they were, he was saying when they have God's Spirit, when they are converted, that they would have a better chance at succeeding than some of the self-righteous, hypocritical Jews of his time. they would be raised to life, Sodom and Gomorrah and all nations, and be taught, what? Be taught the good news of the kingdom of God. That will be their opportunity. And won't it be good news to them, just as it's good news to us today? Now, why do we believe that this will be a hundred-year period? Well, in Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 19, notice... Isaiah 65 and verse 19. There is some indication of that. <clears throat> it says in Isaiah 65:19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be heard no more in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be a curse. It's just another way of saying that people will be judged based on their works. Those of righteousness, when they are converted, will be rewarded. Those who refuse to obey and rebel won't enter the kingdom. It's really the same message that Christ gave when he was on this earth about the, the gospel being preached, isn't it? Hold your place here, and I'll just refer to it. Mark chapter 16, 15. Christ said, Go you into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be condemned. Isn't that really the same message of Isaiah that we're reading? It will be based on their works. Those who will hear the gospel and respond will be saved, will be given an opportunity to enter life. Those who don't will be condemned, will ultimately be destroyed. 
what a wonderful thing that people at this time will have an opportunity to know the, the truth. They'll have their day of salvation. Our friends and neighbors and relatives who haven't yet been converted during this age will have their opportunity. Verse 21 in, in Isaiah 65. They shall build houses. They shall inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. It will be a wonderful time physical life for physical people, but a blessed time. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. People having an opportunity to be so close to God that before they call, God answers. He's walking with them. He's talking with them. He's teaching them just like we have an opportunity today. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. He will listen to their prayers. He won't be afar off. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Just like the millennium, the good news is that every person who has ever lived will eventually have access to eternal life. The tree of life, the opportunity to choose with the Spirit to make the right choice. You know, the people at that time also will have the choice to go the wrong way, won't they? The punishment of eternal death for those who refuse and rebel. Because before the Father comes back, the earth will be cleansed of corruption and sin. We also know that that's a part of the meaning of this day as well. Just as it was cleansed once before by a flood, waters that covered the earth. Think about it. What will the people in the great white throne judgment period be reading? It says the books will be open. What will they be reading to teach them both the good news of the Father coming back and His reign on earth, but also the warning against disobedience? and against condemnation in the lake of fire. Well, perhaps they'll turn to Second Peter. Let's turn over there. We can read that today, and perhaps more than a thousand years from now, they will be reading it as well. Think what this will mean to them. This was written a couple thousand years ago, and at that time it will be about 3,000 years old, but it will still be just as valid and helpful and hopeful Notice Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and our Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fall asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You know, perhaps some may scoff. Some may say, the Father really isn't coming. You don't need to worry about Him. All that stuff about the lake of fire, that's just fear religion. You know, that will be just as dangerous a line of thinking as 
saying in our day, my Lord delays his coming. Verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You know, one of the reasons why we believe that the earth won't be totally obliterated, but just the surface will be burned up, is because of the parallel with the flood. Second Peter parallels the the uh, coming lake of fire with the flood of Noah's time. Of course, in Noah's time, the earth didn't dissolve. It didn't disappear. It just was cleansed with water. This time, it will be a different element, fire instead of water. But the same, same idea, verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. This will be a message to the people at that time just as much as it is for today they will be reading this and think about it some will heed some will listen some will not the gospel will be preached to them as it is to us the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to us word not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. A warning for those who choose not to obey, verse 10. But the day of the Lord, that day of the Lord, the return before the return of the Father, will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. This is talking about the lake of fire. This is what people at that time in the great white throne judgment period will be reading when the books are open. This will be the warning to them. This will be what we are teaching them. Listen up. Heed the warning. This is happening. This is coming. Don't let this happen to you. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? This is what we'll be telling them. Seeing that all these things are happening, get close to God. Yearn for the Father's return to earth and look forward to it and grow close to God and obey Him and experience all the blessings of that way of life. Verse 12, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You know, interesting. Those who want to live the Father's way at that time will hasten that day, won't they? They'll yearn for it. They'll pray for it. They'll want Him to come back right away, just like we do if we're on track with Him as we think, see things in our day coming to pass. We yearn for Christ's coming to come more quickly, don't we? We look up, as he said, and we know our redemption is near. Our people in that time, most of the people, will yearn for the coming of the Father because that will mean their entrance into the kingdom, the culmination of the good news, being born into his family. 
Verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Where, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for these things, such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. These words will undoubtedly be read more than a thousand years from now to encourage and admonish and even correct billions and billions of people on earth. Genghis Khan will read those words. Adolf Hitler will read those words. Mussolini will read those words. All our presidents will read them. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Michael Jordan, and yes, even Michael Jackson will read those words. But perhaps more importantly for us, for you, for us personally, for your father or your mother, your sister, your brother, your mate, if they're not called, or your children or cousins or friends, they will read those words and they'll be inspired and challenged and excited to make it, to persevere, to endure, just as we are when we read these words. That's good news. Going back to Revelation chapter 20, in verse 14, Revelation chapter 20, in verse 14, it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, this also will be a part of the good news that despite the fact that some will reject God, some will be obliterated in the lake of fire, that once the lake of fire burns itself out, there will be no more death. And the grave and death will be a thing of the past. We know this is not a some sort of spiritual fire that burns forever because we read in Malachi. Let's turn over there. Malachi. <clears throat> it's a physical fire. Malachi chapter 4. And verse 1. For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yes, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. A thousand years from now, our people will read this too, a warning that it doesn't have to happen to them. And if they humble themselves, if they submit and obey and surrender to God, and the Father, they can enjoy a life forever in His family. Verse 2, But unto you that fear My name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked. For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this. They'll be burned up. It's physical life and physical death. They'll become physical ashes. Verse 4, Remember you the law of Moses... My servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great and dreadful day of the Lord. Will there be another 
end time Elijah like work during the great white throne judgment period? Well, won't the whole gospel message be to turn the hearts of the children and all those living on earth to their physical father, but most importantly to the returning father, to their heavenly father? Verse 6, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. You know, some time ago, my wife ran across a, an article that talked about a, a mother and how she taught her children to look to their father and to be eager about their dad's return. If he was gone on a business trip or at work, um, even just for the day, by making the father the central part of the children's lives, even when he wasn't there. Just simply making him a part of their lives even while he's gone, talking about dad, joking about what dad might think is funny, telling them about how dad might do this or that and all the fun that they'll have when he comes home. And she builds him up. This is the article. She builds him up to the point that when dad comes home, the children, especially when they're young, are thrilled to the tips of their toes to see him. They're excited. They run to him with open arms because mom has been talking about dad all day long and building up to that point. You know, it's really kind of a selfless act, isn't it, for a mother to keep the father, in that sense, as the central focus of the family, of the children, it takes some effort and thought, but think of the dividends. Think of the relationship and the bonds that it builds between children and their dad, even when he's gone, instead of talking him down, instead of just ignoring him, he's on the minds of the whole family, the whole day. And his return is an exciting event that the whole family looks forward to. I think it's a very profound concept and goes a long way in helping children really bond with their dad. Now, let's relate this on a spiritual level. Now, I know Jesus Christ is not our mother. Don't misunderstand. But even so, think of the analogy. Isn't it true that throughout the whole millennium, even though the Father won't yet be here on earth, Jesus Christ will be talking about him, won't he? Teaching about him, referring to him, letting everyone know he's checking in with him perhaps from time to time, conferring with him and also letting the nations know how excited the father is to see his children. Now, doesn't it make sense that he'll be doing that during the millennium? After all, he was doing that 2,000 years ago when he was on earth. Think how much he was focused on the father. Even though he was God too, he was, worshiped to, was to be worshipped too, but he unselfishly kept the focus on the father. So the children would begin to see the father as the central figure in the family, in the God family. And by the time the millennium is through and the great white throne judgment period is over, the excitement will be so great that the children of God will be thrilled to the tips of their toes to see their dad. Brethren, what is the meaning of the last great day? Ultimately, what is the meaning of the gospel of the kingdom of God for this day, the last feast of the whole festival plan, dad's coming home, dad's coming home.
the whole millennium, the great white throne period, in one sense, will have been getting ready to welcome the Father to come to earth. And when he arrives just like little children running out to meet him, to throw themselves into his arms, we and they will run to greet the Father perhaps together and throw ourselves into his arms. Now think about it. John chapter 117, Christ said the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. You know, in the bosom of the Father just means a, a close relationship, an, an embrace, and that we will want to instantaneously, spontaneously embrace our Father as well, along with all His other children when He comes home. That's the good news of the kingdom. That's outlined by this day, the last great day. Look at how Revelation describes the Father's return. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. The gospel, the good news, looks far beyond just the beginning of the millennium, the return of Christ. Although for us, living today, that's an urgent part of the plan. That may be the, 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 the most real part of the plan because it's right in front of us. But can we broaden our perspective because the gospel is an everlasting gospel. It has been part of the plan for thousands of years. It is going to be the plan yet for thousands of years to come. It really is the good news the good news of the kingdom, not just the millennium. Revelation 21 and verse 1, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Dad is home. That's the good news. Verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. The kingdom of God in totality. Spirit beings with the Father. Verse 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me, verse 10, away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Verse 22, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and a lamb is the light thereof. 
And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. A, 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 a slight glimpse into what it will be like, be like for the resurrected saints, kings, priests coming to see their father, perhaps reporting to their father and their elder brother, or just being there to visit, to talk, to share time together in the family of God. Verse, chapter 22 and verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And so the Father and the Son set up their headquarters in this incredibly spectacular city, the headquarters of the whole universe, from which their sons and daughters, perhaps as the next part of the plan, as we read in Isaiah 51, 16, begin to rebuild and refurbish and renovate other parts of the universe. Verse 6, And he said unto me, These things are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. You know, the way God counts time, it's only a short time from now that these things will come to pass. But they'll be even closer when our people a thousand years from now read this book and learn about this gospel. It'll be right around the corner, won't it? And we will be there and we will teach them from this book and we will teach them about the Father and we will teach them the good news of His kingdom and its coming and won't it be great? Verse 10, and he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of the book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. In other words, the patterns that we set are going to be the works we are judged by. We need to develop good patterns, good habits, because we're judged and rewarded accordingly and they will be too. They will be reading this. People will be reading the very verse that we're reading today. And it will apply to them. Verse 12. Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and makes a lie. Not that they will even be in existence in that time. They won't be. They, they will be excluded from entrance into the family of God. They will be long gone as ashes under the feet of the saints. You know, God will not force anyone to enjoy eternal life forever if they don't want to. We have to want it. We have to seek it aggressively, passionately with everything we've got. Verse 16, 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come and let him that hears say, Come and let him that is a thirst come. The angel brought the everlasting gospel. Remember, we read that in the very beginning. Brethren, the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the kingdom of God, goes far beyond just the return of our Savior, though that is a critical point. The return of Christ will just pave the way for a thousand more years of preparation. And then an additional 100 years in the great white throne judgment period. And then global purification. And then the incredibly awesome event of God and Christ together coming down to dwell on this jewel in space we call home. That's what this day is all about. And what an amazing and exciting day that really becomes the beginning of all kinds of new plans and goals and projects throughout the whole universe for all time. It'll be a time to get to work, and it will be fun. We can see the vision. Let's hold to the vision. It's a good vision. It's good news, the good news that we are going to share with others. And we're just really starting that process. Let's be about our Father's business, brethren. Let's rededicate our lives as we observe this last holy day of the year, the last great day, to be there, to make it, to overcome, to endure, to learn the lessons we need to learn so that we can in turn help others come into and prepare for God's family, to share with the whole world, billions and billions of them, at that time and the time between, the ongoing good news of the awesome kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our wonderful, merciful, loving, soon-coming Heavenly Father.